So, you know, you, you got the two bones in your knee and they're like right on top of each other. Mm -hmm. And then you got little tiny yeah. pillows inside the knee. Like a little cartridge right. pad. That's your meniscus. So with my okay. with my knee, the front is being compressed and the back is bulging. So the doctor said, uh, very easy to fix. What we're gonna do is we're gonna put a big ass needle inside your knee. We're gonna mm -hmm. put it inside your meniscus and we're gonna inject some chemical juice in there for five weeks. So it was very interesting experience going for this uh, injection last week. I'm actually going for the next one tomorrow. But is it painful? I'm it, assuming it is extremely painful. They put, they like okay. usher me into this room and they're like, okay, you could pick a bed. And I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. As I'm walking in, I also pass a dude actively undergoing surgery, and I was like, I'm not supposed to be in the room with that. Uh, fun. Uh, so I go to lie down on the bed, the, the doctor or whatever she was is preparing my knee, getting the needle out, and there's a thick ass needle. And just as she's about to impale my leg, they bring this kid into the room, this child, and this child is screaming and like begging its father not to be there and freaking out. And I'm just like, oh God. I'm already stressed out about this giant needle. Why can someone just take this kid away? Like, why are you screaming? I'm the one. I should be screaming. Uh, and then eventually, you know, the kid gets taken away. But by that point, you know, needles inside. I'm aware of parts inside my body that I'm not supposed Ooh. to be aware of. Uh, and, you know, just really looking forward to having that done to me four more times. Mm, yeah, it sounds. Uh, you know what? Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, it's fantastic. I can't wait. Uh, but my okay. knee is feeling better, so so that's nice. Okay, well, you know, as long as it's helping. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then I guess it's worth it. Um, it is worth it. Uh, our new five-part mini-series, the Meniscus Minute. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> welcome to our B-side production. Be positive. The Positive B-Movie Podcast. Positive B-Movie Podcast. Yes. You'll have to sync that up in editing, I'm sure. I'm not going to sync it up. It's going to stay just the okay. way it is. Perfect. Okay, well, <laughs> let's hope for the best. Uh, I'm Fraser. I am Louis. And today we are discussing, quite literally, the best film ever made. Uh, wow. Strong statement right out of the gates. I mean, um, we've said this before about other films, and I feel like... My bar is very low for best film ever made. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because we don't watch any other movies. Than the ones for the podcast. Yeah, of course. And we've never seen any other movies. Exactly. We're novice <laughs> uh, in terms of <laughs> film watching. <laughs> so, Rubber is a 2011 absurdist film by um, French techno electro producer artist whatever music man yeah. quinton i did not know that dupio du, dupuel dupio 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 yeah so he's uh, graduated from making music to making hard to understand films about nothing in particular so is he 
is this his first film or has he has he done other stuff he's and been, has he done stuff since yeah he's been directing movie-wise. since uh 1997 he made a bunch of oh, wow. ads for levi's he made his own music videos he directed a film in i believe it's 2007 a french canadian uh co-production uh called steak and since rubber he's done a film uh called wrong and another one called wrong cops which are unrelated to one another okay yes okay i didn't know he was so prolific yeah it's a surprisingly prolific guy especially considering that in rubber he not only wrote the film but directed it and he was a cinematographer so you know just just a all-around talented guy kind of like neil breen yeah uh from fateful findings yeah another auteur multifaceted artist yeah uh quentin's work is a little bit more thought-provoking but let's get into a yeah rundown of the plot i guess we can say plot uh the, the occurrences yeah yeah right so the film starts with an empty road filled with chairs just randomly scattered chairs mm-hmm. uh we cut to some i don't know a f- nerdy looking guy carrying a whole bunch of binoculars at this point i was like what uh, a car drives up mm-hmm. a cop car and starts meticulously knocking down every single chair uh the chairs being extremely flimsy as they just fall apart very very breakable chairs yeah the car rolls up and the trunk opens out climbs the sheriff knocks on the driver's side door he's handed a glass of water and he delivers a monologue straight into camera breaking the fourth wall about no reason the concept of no reason in full yeah like as a as a causal kind of thing like why does why does this thing happen no reason uh kind of using that argument which we'll get into in a little bit more depth yeah yeah Uh, one of the specific things he uh says is why in toby hooper's uh original the texas chainsaw massacre don't we see the characters going to the bathroom uh no reason although yeah I can see the reason why you're not going to include that in your film about a chainsaw-wielding maniac. Yeah, there's there's actually quite a good reason. Yeah, um, several reasons. And it's yeah, there's another one where he asks uh, why in the pianist by Roman Polanski does the does the pianist hide and live like a bum if he's such a great pianist? And it's. Yeah. And it's because he's a, a Jew in Nazi Germany. So that's, that's actually a pretty big reason. That's like a really good reason yeah. to, to hide. So I wonder, and I'm sure like you can't misinterpret the pianist that insanely. So I'm sure Dupieux or the sheriff character is aware that some things do happen for reasons. Yeah. He- or is he saying that like the nazi genocide itself happened for is like that kind of absurd meaningless yeah yeah sort of sort of occurrence yeah well if we actually look at the concept of no reason and we are getting sidetracked uh from the plot 
Yeah, we really are. Uh, but if we look, maybe at- we'll insert this this conversation later in the. In the <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It it's like disjointed as the form. Uh, but if we look at the concept of no reason, it implies that you know existence in the universe inherently has no reason. So technically, yes, everything in form has no reason. If we look at the fact that everything in existence has no reason for existing. Yeah, taking a really big picture look. Yeah. yeah at yeah. cinema. Some people would call that mistaken. Some would. <laughs> so the full after he delivers this speech, we're introduced to spectators. They're gonna serve kind of as a Greek chorus. Uh, they're gonna be watching the film as it's playing out and commenting every now and then on actually what we're seeing. Uh, This is followed by us watching the birth of Rubber, the tire. Also, actually, the tire is credited as Robert, but I don't think that... Yeah, that's the actor that plays the tire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I'm just going to call the tire Rubber because that's the name of the movie. We have this long scene of Rubber coming to life and it's very... It's like watching a nature documentary, you know? We're watching mm. the, the baby tire take its first wobbly, uncertain steps in the deserts of uh, California. It's sort first of- First uncertain rolls? I'm gonna call them wobbles. He doesn't quite make a roll. Yeah. All right, again, I say he, I'm assuming the tire's gender. That's, yeah, that's the thing. It Z. But I, I made a note about this whole gender thing. Uh, the tire then goes on to crush an old rusted can, shatter a bottle, uh, using its... With its mind powers. With its mind powers, implying it has a mind in there somewhere, but where would they put the mind? Anyway, uh, it's now a psychic tire, and it grows ever more confident as it rolls through the desert, uh, graduating from inanimate objects to blowing up small animals. From small animals, it goes on to humans, starts blowing up heads, uh, which is kind of the whole premise for the for the film, the horror in the film, being that it's a telekinetic tire that blows people's heads up uh, for no yeah, reason. Yeah, he, he falls in love? Question mark? Yeah, (laughs) a lot of the reviews I read were said that he does fall in love with the uh, the female drifter character we see, but I don't know if it's love. It's just more like a fascination. Yeah, so he's kind of following her, trying to get to her, and um, some other people get in his way, like a a motel maid, Mm -hmm. a trucker, I think. And he he blows them all up. Yeah. Uh, And then the police get involved, I think. Yeah, so that's when we see... That's when we see Steven Spinella's uh, character, Sheriff Chad. That's when we see him again, and he's leading the task force that's hunting the tire. And they're kind of looking to stop the tire's rampage. Yeah. And um, throughout this, we've been also kind of checking back in with the audience on the mountain. And um, they kind of provide some commentary like, you know, oh, this is a little boring. When is it going to, you know, when's the action coming and stuff like that. 
Um, and they're also all really hungry. Apparently, this has been going on for a couple of days. Yeah. And then the accountant, on the orders of uh, the sheriff slash the master, mm-hmm. uh, gives them a poison turkey, which they kind of devour. Savagely uh, tear apart. fly style. Yeah. Yeah. And they all die, except for one old dude in a wheelchair who refused to eat the turkey. He's just interested in the narrative. He, yeah. he really needs to know what's what's going to happen. Where is this going? We get treated to Sheriff Chad trying to explain to his colleagues that all the spectators are dead. We can now stop pretending to be cops. Yeah, we can just go home. Movie's over. Yeah. His colleagues have no idea what he's talking about. So he encourages them to shoot him. One of them does shoot him. And clearly the bullets are hitting him. You know, the blood pack explodes. There's blood coming out of him but he remains entirely unfazed. Yeah, so he kind of, he proves his point that it's all fake, that none of it's real. But then the accountant comes to tell him that there's still one spectator left, the guy in the wheelchair, he he didn't eat the turkey. So they have to continue this yeah. narrative. They're gonna have to improv the rest of the film, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, at this point, it's quite unclear whether the tire is real or not, whether his powers are real or not. Yeah, it does seem that everything is entirely within Sheriff Chad's control except the tire. Like, he was expecting something else to happen, like something different to happen with the tire or, you know, the tire wasn't supposed to be involved at all. But he does seem surprised by the fact that the tire just keeps on going. I mean, he can't tell the tire that the film is over. The tire blows up the motel owner's head in front of the sheriff. Yes. And all over the sheriff, I suppose. And makes a break for it. Yeah. The tire goes on the run for about three days. We know this because they skip ahead and it says three days later. Very helpful. And we get the sheriff and the female drifter, traveler, they've set up this hokey, like, Looney Tune-style plan to trick the tire into blowing itself up. So they place a mannequin near the house where they've discovered the tire. The tire is ironically watching NASCAR or Formula One. <laughs> they dress this mannequin up to look like yeah. her, like the female traveler, and they entice the tire to blow up the mannequin. Now, the mannequin's strapped with a lot of explosives, and they think that when the tire blows up the mannequin, the explosives will be set off, killing the tire. But I ask you, wouldn't they need fire to set off the explosives? Yeah. Or at least put explosives in in the part that they know the tire is going to target. Yeah. It's very odd, very hokey plan, and obviously it doesn't work out. So the sheriff just walks in with a shotgun and kills the tire quite easily. Also at this point, the wheelchair guys come down from the hill, having survived another attempt at poisoning. Mm -hmm. And he asks the sheriff, like, why don't you just blow it up? Why don't you just, like, get a bazooka or go in there and shoot it? Yeah, what's with the hokey scheme? Yeah, exactly. And the sheriff just says, "Well, well, this way, he... He's blowing himself up. And it kind yeah. of... So like, okay. Yeah. But eventually, yeah, like you said, the sheriff does get 
frustrated enough with the tire to just go out or go in, shoot the tire, which we don't see happens off screen, mm-hmm. and brings the deflated, busted rubber out and throws it at the feet of wheelchair man. Yeah, a symbol of the film is finally over. Please go away. Yeah, he actually. I think he says the sheriff says, "The end." Bye. <laughs> But then a little tricycle comes wheeling out of the house. Yeah, it's very the omen. Yeah. Uh, The tricycle then blows up the last spectator, even though the spectator is pleading with him not to blow him up as he is merely a spectator. Yeah, he's like, oh, no, I'm not involved. Sorry, excuse me, I'm not involved with anything. I'm just watching. Go about your business. Yeah. But it doesn't help. Yeah, because he is trying to reason with a foreign intelligence. With a type of intelligence that a tricycle would have. And as we all know, tricycles do not listen to reason. They really don't. Especially not the telekinetic ones. Yeah, they're very cocky. So full of themselves. (laughs) So the tricycle rolls down the desert highway resurrecting more tires as it goes and we're left with a final shot of the tricycle and its newly formed gang of tires overlooking hollywood yeah that's the movie the end bye (laughs) what is this movie trying to say about critically acclaimed filmmaking yeah that's because i'm i'm still a little bit more on the fence about this film than you are so i was reading some reviews preparing and it seems like most of the people who didn't like the film felt that there was too much of the meta filmic stuff and not enough sentient tire killing people Mm -hmm. in the film but unlike those lesser critics yes I feel the film could have benefited from more of the metafilmic stuff. Yeah. I think at the point when the sheriff takes on a dual role of kind of being in the film as well as outside of the film at the same time explaining to the other cops, you know, this isn't real. That's when I realized I really, really liked the sheriff. Yeah. And I wish I'd gotten to see more of that kind of interaction that he had. Yeah, the sheriff really is my favorite character in the movie. He's also largely where the comedic element of the film comes from. It's from that duality of his character, similar to Deadpool in the Marvel comic book universe, where he both exists in the comics and outside of the comics, quite often commenting on the action that's happening. What was also quite interesting to me is that it is clearly metafilmic even though the spectators aren't actually watching a film mm. it's pretty interesting they're they're you know on a hill with binoculars so they might think of it as performance but we hear one of them asking you know is it going to be in color or black and white yeah so they have a clear awareness that it is a film their existence on the hill seems to be more metaphor than reality mm. there are these two characters that are part of the spectators who they sort of share binoculars and it's a guy with red hair and another guy with a neck beard and at first They were commenting on the film, sort of giving their opinions, discussing the film. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's Louis and that's Fraser. That's us. That's us. That's what we're doing. (laughs) Wait, am I the neckbeard? I don't know why you would assume the neckbeard, because I thought more you were uh, the red hair guy and I was the neckbeard. Oh, wow. Taking one for the team. Yeah. But then later on, when they do get kind of chauvinist, then I was like, wait. 
No, that's not us. Uh, they're kind of chauvinist. Yeah, cancel that. They are more representations of the male gaze of the collective audience at large being anyone who watches the film. Because the scene we get the little chauvinist quip in is an homage to Psycho, where for some inexplicable reason, the female traveler, she's going to take a shower. She leaves the front door to her motel open, which, I mean, that's a questionable decision. Uh, I would not. And the tire kind of sneaks in and watches her get into the shower. This then prompts the audience members on the hill to comment on her body as they see it. And to me, what this says is that people who watch films, they feel like they own the characters in a way. So if, for instance, a character is is nude in the film, they feel the right to that person's body and to comment on it and to appreciate it in a more primal sense and not as respectful as you would if you were face to face with another person. Yeah. Interestingly, one of the comments about uh, the woman's body also comes from like an older black woman uh, in the audience. Yeah. Which I think kind of shows that the male gaze is not just a biological male problem, but that it is kind of the way that our culture functions and it's the way narrative cinema is often made. Yeah. There are two teenage female viewers also there, and they actually they, they have an issue with uh, the comments being made, and they're immediately told off by these two guys and the, the older black woman for being mm. sort of wet blankets. And I was just, just like, but they're making sense, guys. Yeah. Um, definitely some sharp commentary there. Oh yeah, so the the sheriff's whole uh, speech about no reason, to me, the concept of no reason is kind of like the modern day version of saying there is no God. Yeah. It's sort of a liberating statement in one way, but it's also a way to shirk responsibility. Yeah, I think so. That's sort of why I'm still a little uncertain about exactly what the sheriff or Depew really meant by that. Another example that the sheriff gives is that some people like sausages and other people don't. And there's no fucking reason. There's obviously a reason. Some people don't like sausages. They, they don't like the texture or they don't like the taste. But I guess as a subjective viewer, if you're just viewing these things happening, then yeah, sure, there's no reason. Like someone could say, mm. I don't like sausages. And if they never explain themselves, then to the subjective observer, there's no reason. In that way, maybe in the film, there's no reason for these yeah. directorial decisions if you're just watching it mm. with sort of like a empty mind and not actually yeah putting any thought into it. What I got mostly out of that is the idea of artistic style as being something beyond reason that's something that's kind of an arena where i can i can understand it where you know things that that make filmmakers for example distinctive are the things that they do beyond just the the necessities of the plot yeah that's kind of where style emerges you know the things that make filmmakers individual voices which is also kind of problematic but that's kind of where it made the most sense to me yeah i don't really know what to say this film is 
there's not much substance it's mainly style it is beautifully shot the cinematography mm. is very good uh Depew, he can continue shooting his own films you know he's got it down so stylistically there's a lot to the film yeah and like you said that's that's sort of where what it could come down to in terms of the whole no reason thing because also i read a interview with uh Depew and he said that there's maybe like three or four scenes in the film where the tire is completely inanimate but because he's mm. implied animation we think like we as people assume okay the tire is watching something or like for instance when the tire is at the bottom of the pool it's literally just a tire at the bottom of a pool it's not doing anything but we're all expecting it to do something we're all like oh what is this tire mm. what what is it planning yeah exactly that's where we begin uh you know giving the tire agency yeah. and motivation where yeah like looking at it more objectively it seems like this tire doesn't really have any any motivation for its its rampage it's just sort of killing for the sport of it and this strangely links to the spectators dying and sheriff chad uh wanting to end the film just because the spectators are dead yeah that's again it's like we're giving agency to the tire the spectators on the hill represent us as the audience of the film they are if they're dead the tire will stop and that's sort of what the the sheriff is counting on he's like okay if you guys are dead the tire's gonna stop movies over we can all go home yeah but when the last spectator dies and the the tricycle then continues to exist and to live and destroy and go about its merry way that implies again that the spectators on the hill were never the true spectators we are the ones mm. the audience at home or in theaters we're the ones actually causing this to happen if we can stop yeah. watching the movie at any time and the tire will stop yeah that's an interesting point because we also we lose all the other characters after after the tricycle emerges the sheriff and his cop buddies literally just do go home they don't give a yeah. shit they are done with this and all the spectators are dead the accountant is dead yeah he dies um, hilariously yeah we're gonna talk about that but so yeah at the end it really is just the tricycle and his new tire friends mm. uh getting ready to take on hollywood yeah yeah and there seems to be some kind of indictment of of us as the audience the tire is given some slight motive later on mm. if you really want to you can read this film as having an environmental protection sort of uh, message because the tire witnesses basically a tire disposal plant or yard or whatever where they're just yeah burning a giant pile of tires and this enrages the tire and could potentially cause the tire to go on a counter genocidal rampage but again we're assuming motivation for essentially something very alien to us yeah and he he does witness the the tire burning and seems upset by it I, I think yeah but that's um, again that's us giving him that emotion and he's already kicked off his massacre before witnessing the tire fire mm. one could say it's almost as if pre the tire fire he's sort of killing for sport and post the tire fire he is given a motive but then he decides to just kind of sit down on the couch and 
have a nice rest and watch watch the NASCAR. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, what kind of tire wouldn't want to watch a sport where tires are worn down in like an hour and they have to be decommissioned after maybe 40 minutes of driving? Yeah, do you think maybe he's watching it with, with a fiery rage rather than a relaxed enjoyment? Again, that's that's very Because again, possible. you could read it either way. You could do whatever you want with it. The Pew says about the foam that it's literally devoid. It's a very simple concept. There's literally nothing to the foam other than a tire doing random shit. Everything that we feel about this foam is comes from our own imagination and our own reaction. So whether he's enjoying NASCAR and having a drink over the rotting corpse of one of his victims, or he's watching it building up his rage to continue his genocidal rampage, it's entirely up, up to the viewer. And I would say in that way that the tire rubber is uh, very reflective of the emotion of the audience. Yeah, that might though be a little bit of a cop-out since Dupieux is using his cinematography, his dialogue, grading, all of that stuff to make certain implications about the tire's motivation. Yeah, he is sort of nudging us in in a interpretational direction. Yeah, which almost makes the whole no reason thing feel like a bit of a prank. Yeah, I would say that the reason for that speech at the beginning is no reason. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. There's no reason for the no reason speech. Every time I've read an interview with Depew, every interviewer is like, is it safe to say that the, the monologue at the beginning of the film is sort of a warning to the audience? And Depew's answer is always like a non-committal, yeah, sure. Which implies to me that Depew hmm. is really not trying to say anything with this film. He's making a fun little romp about a tire killing people Anything that we want to imply or imagine is going on or being said, he's not going to take any responsibility for any message we're getting out of the film. He literally, yeah. he maintains that it is interpretational. You need to make come up with your own interpretation. Even though he does push us in, like I said, in an, a route yeah. to interpret the film. I've also read that Depew started writing the bits the kind of meta film bits with the audience because he was getting bored with the idea of his film. That he was like, oh god, it can't literally just be a fucking tire yeah. through the desert. And so then he started adding those audience bits. So maybe we can read some of his own reactions to his film in those spectator pieces. I think that's why he would maintain that there's no true interpretation because... The interpretation that it feels like we're being pushed towards ends up being just his interpretation of his own work. So yeah, he's not going to tell you how to interpret the film, but he does sort of give you his interpretation then as a package deal. Hmm. This was this was an interesting film. I think I'm not sure that I love it, but I I think it's really interesting. It made me think. I was pleasantly surprised by it because however long this film is, what, like 84 minutes or something? I was expecting mm -hmm. 84 minutes of watching a tire roll, roll around blowing people's heads off. And for it to be as absurd and really as thought-provoking as it was, was like a massive surprise to me. 
and um, yeah. that's what I enjoyed about it is it is clearly a B film it's clearly very experimental but it is thought-provoking and it's surprising work and that's that's the magic of B movies is like you said earlier is you you like the type of B movie that is secretly European art house cinema yeah and I, this is definitely one of those yeah is such a thin concept and he did so much with it yeah I would say that it is now my second favorite B film at the moment yeah after after Wolf Cop Okay, we need to get to, to Wolf we'll, Cop. We'll get to Wolf Cop. We'll get to Wolf Cop. Definitely. Yeah, I, I like that, that sort of duality here between, you know, what we think of as B-movie and what we think of as, like, indie arts movie and how this, how this film really kind of blurs the lines there and shows that there are certain characteristics that you can use to make that division, but really it is a very artificial distinction. Yeah. I also really like the way that it kind of uses the schlock as entry point into into some some more interesting thoughts and and discussions. Yeah. It's all very welcome to Night Vale. Yeah, it is quite. It does a, the town has that surreal kind of feel to it where this would kind of be the norm these sort of occurrences. Yeah. And Night Vale citizens are still on the lookout for the psychokinetic tire that has recently been terrorizing the village. Yes, exactly. Our small desert community. So I like the nerdy guy, the accountant. The scene especially where he receives the phone call from the master telling him to poison the, the spectators. And yeah. there's a turkey in the room. And we sort of have this long shot of the turkey looking confused. <laughs> and the accountant pulling out these knives and I'm like oh god the poor turkey why <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> um, yeah uh, I also enjoyed the scene with him where he tries to poison the last spectator again bringing him this like four course gourmet meal and the spectator yeah dragging just... a trolley with all the um, uh, what do you call those presentation plates platters <laughs> up the mountain yeah, that was quite cute. As the spectator refuses to eat it, he sort of chills there, and he ends up eating all the poisoned food. But, you know, he must have known that he it's must. poisoned. Because he obviously he poisoned the <laughs> yeah. turkey. It wasn't poisonous turkey when it was alive. Yeah, and he know, like he's had this whole conversation about how important it is to kill yeah. the last guy. So he eats it, telling the last spectator this anecdote of, from his life about how he was hiking with his brother and his brother fell into a hole. And instead of helping his brother, he crushed his skull with a rock. And then again, I was like, whoa, what? You're, what? What? <laughs> Again, just something like this amusing little anecdote in a movie about a killer tire that really it doesn't lead you anywhere because directly after the accountant dies a horribly painful death. He's also the only person we actually watch dying from the poison. The rest of the spectators start having the effects of their stomachs burning and then we just cut to them being dead. Yeah, we, we spend quite a long time uh, with the dying accountant uh, shouting all the time that he doesn't want to die. Yeah. But then why did he eat the poison? Oh God, he must have just gotten ah! distracted by his own anecdotes. 
Um, this is actually this is why he's not the master because he makes yeah. basic mistakes. Amateurish. Yeah. Another scene I really liked was where the cleaning lady discovers uh, the tire taking a shower. Again, it's very psycho where she sort of walks in slowly pulls back the curtain which at first i was like why is the cleaning lady there's so obviously someone taking a shower why are you going into the bathroom pulling back the curtain yeah just like oh sorry i'll be back later bye yeah it's like oh i just quickly wanted to see you naked but she finds the tire and it's this sort of again it's just a tire in a shower <laughs> and the tire's not doing anything but clearly you're like oh, okay the tire's taking a shower for some reason <laughs> it's so funny it's so odd and in hindsight again it's just a tire in a bathtub but i was like oh god this tire this tire must feel so intruded upon so <laughs> violated yeah and then she chucks him out into the dirt and i feel like he kills her because he because she dirted him up just after he gotten clean for the first time yeah because he uh he comes to life from a garbage dump so he's never been clean yeah the special effects were really good in this movie yeah I th- it's incredible how they remote controlled that tire yeah and also just the editing with the uh, small animals exploding you know it's it's very well done and also i was thinking like did they actually blow up tiny little animals in the desert for this like what the fuck <laughs> or am it i just am i just watching a rabbit get blown apart by a shotgun i hope not me too when the the motel owner's head's blown off and the sheriff is sort of like oh what the fuck and he reaches into his po- top pocket and pulls out this little <laughs> scrap of paper and reads his lines off a scrap yeah. of paper that's when i really love the detective what is the line it's like oh no the tire's loose. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like some... Oh, I can't remember. It's hilarious. He, he delivers it so flatly and um, so disappointed that he has to continue with the film. Yeah, he really is not interested. And especially seeing as how he can take a few bullets to the chest and not die, he's probably not afraid of the tire at all. I wonder whether he's completely invulnerable or whether the tire somehow could get him i think that sheriff chad really is the pew's embodiment in the in this film like he represents the pew so the only real way that the tire could like he could be vulnerable to the tire is if we assume that the tire is also an aspect of the pew's personality uh so if he does commit violence against the sheriff he's basically committing self-harm I like how the movie ends. Uh, it sort of sets up a sequel, which I lovingly dubbed Rubber 2, Rubber Nation. <laughs> the trike state area. <laughs> but um. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's score this film. What? How are we rating today? Uh, we're rating this out of one to three small desert animals senselessly murdered by a tire okay i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and give this film a zero so that the listeners can project their own score onto my score fantastic uh i'm gonna give it one worrying bunny rabbit very upsetting excellent yeah 
<laughs> Can't you see it's fake? <laughs> All right. So as always, you can catch us on Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm taking over the Facebook since. I'm assuming you quit Facebook because of all this uh, data breach stuff. Yeah, it's it's that. And also, when I go onto Facebook, the algorithm knows me so well by now that it sucks me in for like six hours where I'm just scrolling uh... through and every article that I see is perfectly tailored to me. Perfectly. I gave them too much information. They know me too well. Yeah. So now I'm taking a break. Uh, I don't know if I'll be back on Facebook, but the Twitter is, is where I'm at. I don't, still don't really know how Twitter works, but it's fun. I mean, if Donald Trump can figure it out, I'm sure I'm sure we'll be fine. But he's like a really smart guy. He's a big genius. Yeah. He's very big genius. Very big hands. Very large. Very important. My hands. Uh, I don't know why I went British with that one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you can check us out there. Please remember to uh, rate rate us on all your podcatching apps uh, on Apple Podcasts. We're on there. You can rate. We can review uh, and get in contact with us. We're, we're always happy to do a, a suggested film. Very happy to hear from the listeners and to interact with all of you wonderful people yeah absolutely reach on out tell us what we should be doing <laughs> give us a little pat on the back if you want to yeah yeah um, buy some advertising space yes yes uh, uh zolo maxiloft still hasn't paid us so yeah that. it's been it's been over a year and yeah i'm just not received any money i'm just terrified because every time i meet with them uh they're sort of waving tentacles in my face and i i don't like it yeah that's that's the thing about advertising for a a, a worldwide conglomerate network it's it's really the tentacles yeah it's got to be the tentacles but seeing as i sold my soul you'll probably be hearing from them again <laughs> and then as always you stay scary. Uh, put put the spooky pedal to the spooky metal. Oh my god, that was very good. Uh, I I thought you were gonna say put the spooky tire back on the spooky car, <laughs> like where the sheriff pulls off. He like literally takes the time to take the tire yeah. off of his oh. car to show oh, his, his the car. deputies. He's like, this is what the suspect looks like. <laughs> <laughs> like they don't know what just a tire is. at a tire. Yeah. Um, and also the scene where the sheriff's playing uh, chess with his with his deputy, and the guy's like, "Oh, you can't do that." And the sheriff's like, "Really?" And he's like, "Well, you can, but it's against the rules." <laughs> and the sheriff's like, "So, can I or can't I?" <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs>